You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechFan Podcast number 280, recording on a Sunday morning, and both my kids are down here, and uh, I, I let my wife sleep in. She was up late last night. So she's still sleeping upstairs, has no idea the kids are down here while I'm podcasting. So we're going to see how this goes, David Cohen. Daddy could be on the warpath. Could be. We'll see if... <laughs> I've asked them to be quiet. We'll see if they abide. Well, they'll try. They'll try. Yeah. Yeah. The, the funniest thing is... <clears throat> yeah, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Little ears within earshot. So... Yeah. As I usually do, well, I was for a while, every Sunday, Saturday or Sunday, I was usually Sunday, I was sending out the MyMac Weekly newsletter, which highlights, you know, the week's past doings at MyMac.com, and usually a paragraph or two from me. Uh, it, it doesn't have a huge subscriber base, but and it gets like 60, 65% opens on a weekly basis, David, but yeah. I, haven't, I haven't sent one out since right before mom died. And so this week yeah. I was like, you know what? I want to get back to doing this. I, I need to get this sent out. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I put in each newsletter is um, this many years ago at MyMac. Because we've got 21 years of content online. And instead of only focusing on the new stuff at the site, I thought when I first started the newsletter, wouldn't it be kind of cool to to post some of our archive stuff. I mean, it's, some of it's entertaining to read still. Some of it's still relevant. Most, most of it probably isn't. Who cares about a review of a screensaver from 2001, right? Yeah. But some of it is kind of fun to go back and look at. And so we're going to talk about that here on uh, this episode of Tech Fan, uh, what I linked to today. And uh, I've got a couple products that I wanted to talk about. And uh, we'll get to those as well. So what's been going on with you, David? Well, um, I changed my car, as I talked about last week. So I've taken delivery of the new one. Uh-huh. So that was good. Um, very pleased with it. Uh, what have I been doing? I'm, I'm doing a bit of throwback stuff myself at the moment. Um, I spotted an opportunity on eBay last week to update my old Apple collection. Anybody who listens to this show regularly knows that I like vintage computers. And I have far too many of them. I have, have a whole garage lockup full of all sorts of old stuff. So I am trying to focus my collection down on the things that I love the most. And I want I, ha- I have a couple of the titanium power books that I think are probably my favorite laptop Macs ever. Um, but I wanted to get... Um, one each of the aluminium ones yeah. or aluminum as you call them um if you go for the late the most recent ones the 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 ones they phased out just before the macbook pros came in um they're still pretty good computers actually they struggle with the web a little bit but um apart from that they're pretty usable um and cheap so i managed to get hold of a 12 inch power book this week and I was kind of setting it up on my desk at work while I was doing something else. And something that really, really struck me as I was doing this was that the compared to the keyboard on my Dell XPS 13, which is my kind of my my regular work computer, and that has a keyboard that's very, very similar to the current MacBook Pros, although sorry, the previous gen Retina MacBook Pros, not the new ones. Um, the uh, kind of a, you know that chiclet style eyelet keyboard. Um, the keyboard on the PowerBook is fabulous. 
I mean, you really, until you have two of them side by side, you really don't realize how bad these modern keyboards are. Um, you know, it really, I, as soon as I started typing stuff on there to, you know, I was installing uh, uh, Leopard and stuff like that on it, I realized how terrible my current laptop keyboard is. It really kind of ruined it for me. And I just thought that was kind of funny. And I did get a few comments from people because a lot of people recognized what it was and they were saying, oh, what are you doing with that? And kind of, what are you, what's going on with that? So I'm thinking about doing one of my, um, my retro challenges, you know, like I did with the uh, the BlackBerry a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about maybe running for a week with a PowerPC Mac just as my only work computer and seeing how I get on with it. So. That'd be pretty brutal, actually. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm uh, I may if I get myself organized tonight, I may you're, well do it this this week. So you're a masochist. Uh, well, I, I like to. I like to challenge myself. I like to do things that are a little bit different. And um, look, if I do this, I'll I'll also have an iPad Pro with me, so I'll have something modern to fall back on if I find I'm really struggling. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I just find it. I I I think the only way to find out if this older stuff is still relevant today is to actually do that in anger and use it and see what ha- see what happens. You know. Sounds like a new retro challenge to me. You got to tell us what, yeah. how it goes next week. I will do. Hmm. I'm looking yep. forward to it. Anything else going on? Not really. It's been kind of a crazy week work-wise. And, um, you know, uh, we're thinking about what we're doing for um, for the, the holidays for us. And um, we're kind of really focused on that. One thing actually that did happen today, I, Black Friday, I think I've mentioned this last year, has become a real thing here. Yeah. Um, and there's quite a lot of stuff on the web this year saying that, you know what a con Black Friday is, and I think the Wirecutter looks at fifteen thousand odd Black Friday deals, and, and they, I think they found about one hundred and ten, one hundred fifteen they thought were really worthwhile. Um, but I was with my son this morning in a local supermarket. He's he has uh, food technology or cooking, as we used to call it, as a lesson this week. So he needed some ingredients for his lesson, um, and we spotted they had a forty inch. Uh, High definition uh, digital LED TV for 150 pounds, um, which is a remarkable bargain. So we snagged one of those up for my mother-in-law, who's partially sighted, and we figured that um, a larger screen TV might help her because the bigger the better, because she can't see very well. So, can't hurt. Um, yeah, but I, 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 I've never seen a TV that size, that cheap. I don't know whether it's a good Friday, bad Black Friday deal or not, but um, especially as it wasn't on Friday, but Sunday. But uh, there you go. We bought a new TV, and we didn't have to climb over 400 writing people to do it. So I feel like I won Black Friday this year. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I didn't. I you know honestly, I I had to work Black Friday. Right. And did you have did you have a Black Friday deal in your car dealership? Uh, yeah. But it was kind of the whole week and continues. So, you know, some people were a little bit busy. I, I really wasn't busy at all. Um, it, you know, it's a weird business. Uh, sometimes you're swamped. Sometimes you're not. There's no rhyme or reason for it. Um, strikes strikes me that going out to buy a car is not the sort of thing you would do over a family holiday. Um, yes and no. Uh, some people want to get out of the house, but they don't want to go to the retail places because it's a madhouse and Mm -hmm. you have the day off. And, you know, if your hours kind of preclude you from shopping for a car and you need one, it might be a really good time to do so if they're open. 
Like mm-hmm. we're we're always, almost always busy on a Saturday, and right. that's because that's people's day off. Uh, we we also are open till eight p.m. on a Monday and a Wednesday, and I get a lot of stuff done later in the days on Mondays and Wednesdays because that's when people can get in from work. So yeah, it doesn't sound like a a, a thing that a normal person would do. You would think, but actually, yeah. you know, schedules being what they are, it it happens. One of the things, though, yeah. uh, one of the my bosses is in charge of the music that plays right. through the showroom, and he has the worst taste I've ever heard of music. <laughs> he plays the, the the limpiest '70s pop rock that is just the most. It's the worst music ever made. Well, how do, how does that work though? I mean, surely you can't just plug an iPod into the sound system and play whatever you want because it's all got to be licensed. Now, I thought most retail outlets had like a like a radio channel they got centrally from somewhere where it was all properly licensed and covered. Uh, most of the places like that use Pandora Business uh, right. and they subscribe to that and it does cost money. And yeah. you know, there's different stations on Pandora Business and he picks the one that is just the worst. <laughs> I I, I, right. I literally can't. It's it's music that we've all heard way too many times, and unless you have almost no taste in music at all, we could probably universally agree that it should be outlawed at this point. I I think it's personally <laughs> a, a a form of terrorism to play some of this music. <laughs> And so what are we talking about? Oreo Speedwagon, that sort of stuff. Oh no, I, I could live that with kind of, that. Yeah, no. no. So this is any more middle of the road than that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Gypsy uh, woman okay. right. of uh, it's just the worst okay. of the seventies. The seventies, personally, I think, was the worst time in musical history. And you know, look, I was born in mm-hmm. nineteen seventy, and I remember that music very well. It's the music of my early childhood, and it's the worst. It's just the sixties, the fifties. Much better. 80s, much better. 90s, meh, but still better. It, the 70s is just the worst when it comes to popular music. You know, Captain and Tennille type stuff. Just You just want to slit your re- wrist and bleed out for hours. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just I, I can't stand it. I really can't. It it, it affects me so negatively, it's, it's kind of sad. I have a problem. Yeah. So... I thought I was going to do something about it. I brought uh, a seldom used uh, Bluetooth speaker that I had laying around. Uh, I talked about it like two years ago. It was a Nakamichi Bluetooth speaker. I remember. And I brought that to work, and I just connected via Bluetooth to my phone. And I play my music just loud enough so it drowns out whatever they're playing, but yet you can't hear it from more than six feet away from my desk. And it was a good solution, except the phone ringing doesn't conform to whatever you set the volume at on the phone for the music. And so if I'm not anywhere near my desk and I brought my phone with me, yeah, we lost David. We'll try to get him back online. I guess he didn't want to talk to us anymore. I think it crashed because he would have answered by now. Yeah. It crashed. 
Well, let's pause and get David back here. And we are back after a quick pause and unpause. David, something locked up completely on your side. Yeah, all of a sudden you stopped talking and uh, my computer was not no longer on the internet, even though everything else was. I have no idea what that was about. Yeah, it happened. I blame, I blame Johnny Ive. Yep, it's Johnny Ive's fault. <laughs> so I was saying that, uh, you know, playing, streaming my music whether I was either using Pandora or my own music on my iPhone, to this little Bluetooth speaker at my desk was a was a fine solution. Except yep. the volume that you set in the music app, whether it's Pandora or built-in or Spotify or whatever I'm using, uh, doesn't affect when the phone rings at all. Right. So even if I set the speaker to a lower volume... When my phone would ring, it would ring through the Bluetooth speaker because that's what I'm connected to. And it yep. was loud. <laughs> so that obviously wasn't going. And then, you know, if someone was calling me, I would have to turn off the Bluetooth speaker before I would start talking to him. Otherwise, everyone in the whole building would hear my conversation or at least, you know, the person yeah. I'm talking to. So, and unfortunately, the interface is on the phone to do that, to actually switch between sources when that thing happens they're not very intuitive. Well, um, no, it's not. And if you forget to switch it in the system settings, when the phone rings, you can't do it until after you answer the phone, which is yeah. stupid. Anyways. Indeed. So that, uh, that was my dilemma. Yeah. My so solution. come up with a solution? I did, actually. Um, yeah. I've mentioned many times that I still own all my old iPhones. The kids, uh, yep. well, Brooke plays with, would play, she uses Julie's uh, 5S. And Cole uses um, a 4. But I still have all the other ones, including an iPhone 3GS. Uh, and so <clears throat> what I did was um, I nuked it, and I only put some music apps on there. I brought that to work with me with a charger. And that's what I just play my music on now, and that's what's connected to that Bluetooth speaker. I feel you. I mean, I, uh, you know, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I resurrected an iPod Mini and put extra storage in it so I could use it as an iPod. And I'm firmly of the conclusion now that if you want to seriously listen to music and you're not streaming it, but yeah. you actually want to listen to local music, you are better having a separate device than using a phone. It's just it's too awkward. Yep. It's too inconvenient, yep. things get in the way, and um, a dedicated music player doesn't lock up or crash like the fans tend That's to. right. No, I just leave the yeah. speaker plugged in, and I leave the iPod plugged in. And they're just, yeah. it's always on. When I get back to my desk, I just unlock my screen and hit play. And if, look, yeah. if someone comes and steals it, it, it I, can, I, I could literally replace, replace that phone for 10 bucks on eBay. I mean, it's it's virtually yeah. useless, right? And it's got no yeah. information on it. It's not even connected to my iTunes account at this point. I am signed into mm -hmm. Pandora and Spotify and a couple others, but it's the free account, so I don't care. But I, yeah. I just thought that was a pretty good use of something I had just laying around. Two things, actually, a speaker and a phone that I am literally was not using for anything. Definitely. And you know what? It's It's wonderful that we have these tiny devices that can do so many things yeah. but uh, they are often jack of all trades master of none 
Uh, and sometimes, depending on your passion for a particular thing, then it does make sense to have something dedicated for it. And what's nice about my solution over yours is that it's an iPhone, so I can have streaming music on it as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've, I've, I've done the iPod Touch thing in the past. The difference with me is I wanted a large amount of storage, and you just can't. You know, unfortunately, even if you go for the original iPod Touch, yep. if you try and find the 64 gig one of those, they did one. Um, you'll pay a lot of money for it just because of the of the premium that storage is, and and the fact that a lot of people who who are they don't sell a lot of them, and a lot of people who are after big storage ones are willing to pay for it because yes. of what they're after. Yep. So. Um, you know, it, that's a buy, that's a seller's market, and you're going to pay a lot more money. And then you get to the point of, you know, do I want to spend fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty dollars on a six, seven year old device just because I want sixty four gig of storage? Then it becomes a little bit more difficult. Well, in my case, I you know, it's an eight gig, which leaves me about seven, a little less than seven gigs free space. It would just yep. default installed, and the streaming apps take almost no space, anyways. So I could still put a yeah. godly amount of my own music on that device. I put about four gigs, five gigs worth of music on there, which yeah. is more than enough for an entire week of never hearing the same song again while I'm working. Um, and here's the, here's the stupid thing. If Apple Music or iTunes Match or whatever it is, or the combination of whatever worked worth a damn, um, then you wouldn't need to, to have these solutions yeah, but it because doesn't. you could stream down. But it doesn't. Nope. So, um, and and I keep meaning to. I know that Google and Amazon both have solutions where you can upload your own music to their cloud and then stream it down. I've I've never got into though, and I, I must try one one of these days. But uh, I keep thinking of the Amazon one because I'm an Amazon Prime member. Uh, I it said you know you can upload your music unlimited. It's not unlimited because it crapped out on me. It's like oh you're over the limit. Well wait a minute. If if it's unlimited storage, then how am I over the limit? I didn't understand that. No. Yeah, and I again I I probably would try Amazon first because I also have um you know my Echo and my um TV stick and stuff like that so those would those would use the uh those would those would be able to use the the cloud library as well. Yep. Um yeah. So too much stuff to do. I thought it was a pretty good solution to I, I don't Absolutely. want to call it a problem other than it's solving or saving my sanity from listening to that horrible horrible popular 70s stuff oh it's so bad it's just I, I it's think the kind of stuff that I, the cool people in the 70s hated yeah <laughs> okay I think what we need is we need a for next week we need a playlist so we can go through it and understand the horror you're living no. on a daily basis no I'm not going <laughs> to because even just just naming these songs <laughs> <laughs> would create an airworm for some people and they would probably yeah. unsubscribe. They would have that song yeah. stuck in their head and I don't wish that on my worst enemy and I don't even have an enemy. <laughs> it's just, it's that well, bad. Maybe the guy who runs the playlist, the Spotify, the Pandora playlist at, uh, at your work is your enemy for, because of what he does to you. Ugh. I, you know, and everybody, have com- you tried having an intervention? Him. We have. It does. He doesn't care. That's what he likes. He's the guy in charge, so that's what he's going to play. Everybody hates it. Everyone's complained. Makes no difference. He doesn't care. It reminds him of you know high school days. I guess I don't know. Everybody hates yeah. it. Yep. So regardless, that's uh, that was my solution. It seems to be working pretty good so far. 
And, uh, you know, if I come up with a better solution or somebody out there listening has a better solution, let me know. But I honestly don't think anyone's going to come up with a better solution. I think it works pretty darn well the way it is. Absolutely. So I like the sound of it. Yeah. I, I ha, does a good pun. Um, <laughs> did you even catch that pun at first? Oh, that's, I, I made the pun. Oh, okay. It was my pun that I was well, But I, I didn't know if you were, it was, uh. I said it, and oh, that is a pun, so now I'm going to own it. <laughs> no, I was there already. You know, David, I, I did get the Apple Watch. Yeah. Uh, I do enjoy I, I, it. I've been meaning to ask you how you're getting on with it. Uh, it's okay. You know, I use it for work to to recite numbers, so I don't yeah. have to type them into my phone. Mm-hmm. And that's hit or miss, to be honest with you. I haven't found a good application that just works 100% of the time. Uh, I've been using uh, OneNote, um, but it's hit or miss, to be honest. And it's a little bit clumsy to use, I'll be honest with you. That being said, uh, I still I like having the Apple Watch. Um, I like the notifications. Uh, I like when I get a phone call and I don't want to pull my phone out. I can just answer it right there on the phone. That's kind of cool. Kind of Dick Tracy-ish, yeah. but it's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like to do though is change up my accessories, i.e., the watch band. And yeah, same, same for me. I'm, I swap my band every week for a different one. Well, I've only got four right now: the original black one, I got a white one, uh, a bright yellow one. But the one I really wanted, to be honest, was that Nike band watch that Apple showed during the keynote. The, and so I've been waiting to buy just that band watch. Turns out, the watch band, band watch, uh, turns out Apple is not going to sell that band separately. You have to buy the Apple, the Nike Apple Watch to get it. And it's a cool yeah, band. It's then, black then it's- with the yellowish, the greenish yellow holes in it. Uh, it yeah. It's it's. It's kind of cool looking. I really like it. And you get a you get custom faces on the watch to match as well, yeah. which is is something they did with the Hermes. Yeah. Very expensive kind of leather leather loops as well, where you got a, a special Hermes watch face, and that's the only way to get it. So, so I, I like that watch, but I, I don't care about the the face. I just want the band. Well, yeah. I was I'm friends with a guy named Michael Mana on Facebook. I had him on uh, the original OWC Radio a couple times. I was on his show. He's got a show called uh, T Four Show. Uh, See the former wrestler. Yeah, yeah, he wrestled as uh, he, he's not former. He still wrestles. Oh, still uh, wrestles. But he right. was in the WWE and uh, he wrestled under the moniker Stevie Richards. Um, mm-hmm. I guess if anybody listening to this is a wrestling fan, you'll know exactly who he is. Uh, but anyways, uh, he's a tech guy at heart. That's that's what he does. Yeah. He loves tech, and that's how I know him as a tech guy. He did a video review of this knockoff Nike sports band for the Apple Watch. And I watched it and I thought, it's exactly what I want. I mean, that's, it's perfect. So I followed his link over to an Amazon page and I, I sent you this link as well. And I'll put this in the show notes for anybody else who's interested. Uh, I purchased it. It took about four weeks to get here, to be honest. It was quite long. It comes out of China. But mm-hmm. it looks identical to the Nike sports watch band. Uh, and I've been using it now for a couple of days. It is by far my favorite watch band. I love it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. 
you know how soft the 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 watch band is the the rubber one that comes with the apple watch is it's quite comfortable and soft date and flexible but not too flexible mm-hmm. this is even softer even more flexible and it feels better it's lighter wow. it is a great watch band i am really impressed with it uh so much so that they have this in multiple colors I mean, yeah, I'm just looking at that now. I mean, that's better than the Apple one in that yeah, Apple has two colored color choices. They have the, the, the black and the yellow, uh, or they have black and gray, and that's it. Whereas they, they had, these ones have red, blue, um, pink, or pretty much anything you want. Yeah, and not just the black band. You can get a, a, a gray band with a yellow inside or a gray band yeah. with a light white inside. or and They got purple. Like, I'm, I think it's great. The problem is it's, it's about 20 bucks. Um, which, you know, isn't too bad, but I'm not spending pay- 20 bucks on a whole bunch of different Apple watches. I'm going to pick like two or three over the next couple months as I yeah. can afford it, you know, but it, dude, it's really, really comfortable. It's the most comfortable of all the Apple watches that I've tried so far. Yeah. I'm, I might, might invest in one of these. I've got to be honest. They're pretty nice. Um, it's got the same kind of clock you've got to watch watch some of these knockoff bands some of them that you know they replace the kind of nifty apple closures with something just like a regular strap and buckle right um which isn't as nice this one has the proper uh stud stud fix which is what you want um yeah this this looks really good i have i've been pretty lucky with um with uh knockoff watch bands I, i've got a few different styles and over time i found that the um the manufacturers have found ways to really kind of nail the quality and the functionality of the genuine Apple ones. I have a, you know, the leather band that Apple does, the yeah. um, magnetic closure one. I have one of those that's a, that's a copy um, and is um, is very nice and it works very well. And, uh, yeah, substantially cheaper than the Apple ones. Now, what I find interesting about all of this is that, legally speaking, these are knockoffs yep. and they're openly sold on on sale on on uh, on amazon here and um and they're shipping from nobody China. seems to nobody seems to be bothered about that um which is interesting and i i'm i'm normally not a fan of you know normally i want to support the original uh, copyright owner of this sort of stuff so do i but um, in this case apple's not selling me the watch that i want and i don't want to buy yeah. a more expensive version of something that i already have the, the apple watch just to get this band yeah. And, and and this is yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I just gonna, just going to say I'm in exactly the same position. Every knockoff band I've bought has been in a style that Apple doesn't offer. So, for instance, I have a Milanese loop, but it's in a um, a dark uh, kind of metallic bronze color, which you can't get from Apple. It looks much nicer with my um, space gray watch than the genuine Apple ones do. And I have one that's that's kind of like the Hermes band, you know, the cuff. Yeah, you know the thing where yeah, yep. um, only only it's red, um, and again it looks much better with my um, my watch than uh, with my space gray aluminium watch than a uh, genuine Hermes band would. So well, this is uh, seventeen ninety eight plus free shipping. If you're uh, well, it's just free shipping. It's not even part of Amazon Prime. Uh, it yeah. does take a while to get here. Like I said, it, mine took almost a month. When it arrived, I forgot that I had even ordered the damn thing until I opened, ordered, opened the box and went, oh, yeah, cool. Immediately put it on and was like, ooh, I kind of like this. I've been wearing it for a week now, and the first day I wore it, a guy at work 
um, who subsequently, his last day was a couple of days ago. Uh, he saw mm-hmm. it and he goes, I know you didn't buy a Nike watch band or a, a Nike Apple watch because <laughs> he recognized yeah. it immediately. And yeah. I took off the watch and handed it to him so he could take a look at it. And he's like, this is awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get some more of these. They do fit 38 and 42 millimeter. You got to, you know, get the right size, but yeah, it's, I'm extremely impressed with it. Uh, it's called, uh, the Apple watch band. Vitek Soft Silicon Nike Plus. <laughs> they put the name right in there, didn't they? Sport style replacement iWatch strap band for Apple Watch Series One, Series Two, forty-two millimeter black bolt or black volt. So, I'm happy with it. It's I, I think it's awesome. Uh, Apple, if you want my money next time, let me buy it. And a caveat: let me buy it, and it doesn't cost sixty-five or seventy dollars. A watch well, band like this a- should not cost more than twenty bucks. <clears throat> you might get you might get the first one. You definitely won't get the second one. Um, that is just the way Apple rolls. Yep, you know? absolutely. So there's that. So, I'm 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 quite pleased yeah. with it. I'll be honest with you. Let's take a quick break, David, and uh, we'll be right back. Now, see what I'll do is I'll. I'll throw in some of that stuff that we've been saying after that into the commercial itself. Right. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> and, and, but what will we do when it's no longer like autumn or fall of 2016? Well, we'll it. Do oh. it. We'll do a different one. Oh. It's, it's, oh. it's December 2016. And the, Unti- <laughs> the still bloody podcast. Until it's not. Make us shut up. Kill him! Kill him with fire! <laughs> Back here on the Tech Fan Podcast, number 280. I'm Tim Robertson. He's David Cohen. And uh, we want to thank our sponsor this week, MaxSales.com. One of the cool things that kind of not a lot of people talk about, David, but I think is really, really cool is... MaxSales.com has a blog. It's called Rocket Yard. And it's not just about, hey, here's our sales. They do have that stuff on there occasionally. But it's also uh, kind of a news-ish and helpful hints and that sort of thing. Um, I like it a lot. You know, I, I wrote for it very briefly. But it's just a well-written blog. And, you know, it's not just a corporate blog. I mean, that's that's the majority of it, granted. But, you know, they have some really good content up there. They do. They, and it's not just, you know, computer stuff as well. They they seem to have a wide set of interests. But kind of the similar sort of thing to the, to the areas we like to talk about, the stuff about space, the stuff about NASA and things, um, you know, tips and, and hints and all sorts of things in here, breakdowns. And the the advantage you get from reading something like this rather than, um, you know, one of the more commercial uh, tech websites out there is that, you know, these are guys who really have technical skills. And so when they talk about something, particularly on the computer side, you know these are guys who really know what they're talking about. Yeah. One of the contributors, uh, he's not an employee. He He's paid to write for Mac sales is Steve Sandy. And he's been contributing to a lot of different Apple websites over the years. And he's got one right now. It's tips for the traveler using an iPad. He, he's on a long trip 
he's out of the country and he's writing these blogs about using an iPad while he's out on the road. That's very useful for a lot of people. Yeah, and also just looking through the archive here, I mean they they update two three times a day. Yep. So you're getting a lot of content if you subscribe to this blog, as opposed to you know some corporate websites um, with with blogs. You know where you might only get once one or twice a month. They've got something to say. These guys are talking every day about all sorts of different topics. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good blog. I, I like it a lot, and obviously. I, a little bit biased because I, I wrote for it for a while, but it's good stuff. I like it a lot. I think uh, yep. I think anybody listening to this would probably enjoy most of it. Sure. Um, so thank you, uh, MaxSales.com. We'll put a link into MaxSales as well as the Rocket Yard blog in the show notes for tech fan number 280. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that you're going to want to bookmark and, and take a look at at least once a week. I would say every you know, a couple times a week at least, uh, and you're going to pick up some really cool stuff to make your Mac or iPad or iPhone uh, iPhone usage better. And of course, you know if there's a sale, that's where you're going to hear about it first. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I did want to talk about real quick before we get into the 20 years ago at my Mac thing was I got I don't know if someone sent this to me for a review or what. But it showed up out of the blue. Uh, it was addressed to me. I, I I honestly have no idea why I got it. Uh, it there was usually if a company sends me something they would like a review yeah. of, I'll get an email yeah. or at least a letter yeah. in the package. This uh, <laughs> it said it was from uh, Dollar General. It's a store here in the United States, so like everything's cheap. But it was fulfilled through Amazon. And that's all that's that's all there is. So it's like someone bought it, but yet I don't know. Anyways, um, <laughs> so I, I I opened this box. You up. sure you sure it's not full of full of anthrax or something? Well, or maybe I bought it at like three in the morning one day and I have zero memory of it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I opened this box up because I, I had no idea what it was. And inside the box is um, a Sega Genesis uh, Ultimate or Ar- Arcade Ultimate Portable 2016 model. And what this is, it's a little handheld, kind of looks like the, um, oh, what do you call it, the PlayStation Vita. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a little, I'm going to say, three and a half inch screen, 3.2 inch LCD screen. Yeah. It's got an SD card slot, but it's got 80 built-in Sega games in it. And now, go ahead. Yeah, I'm look. I'm looking at the box here. Yeah. I mean, this is all properly branded. Yeah. Um, is is this? Does it appear to be legit? Well, I've authorized got, I've, Sega. I've got the box here, uh, and it. You know, let me see. It says uh, distributed by. I don't even know what that is. Somewhere in Tennessee, made in China. Um, you know, it says that the company that distributes it in the U.S. in Tennessee, uh, mm-hmm. Goodlettsville. Well, that's a name. Goodlettsville, Tennessee. But it it has the at games dot net stuff on it. Uh, yeah. Game software, Sega, all rights reserved. 
Uh, all registered trademarks. Distributed it by Alt Games under license from Sega Corporation. It even has the WB logos for Mortal Kombat, which is owned by Warner Brothers. Wow. So, so it's legit. I think it's legit. I really do. I think that yeah. it, this is something that Sega licensed out to this distrib- or to this company in China. They made it, and they're distributing it through a company in Tennessee here in the U.S. See, I used to have the Sega Game Gear, yeah, which was their portable console. Yeah, I've got um, one that, that looked a little bit like this. Um, a little bit, but it didn't play. It didn't play 16-bit games. It was actually bit system yeah um so it was always a little bit behind but um so how do you like it or haven't you opened it yet the sound is horrible yeah the audio quality is atrocious when i play it i I literally turn the sound down obviously this is running emulation uh i don't know what software it is running it's probably a flavor of linux with uh mame type of you know emulation software and it's just running roms right but the gameplay itself is not bad. Uh, this thing costs 60 bucks, by the way, with free shipping via Prime. So the gameplay isn't bad in almost all the games. Uh, the button layout makes sense for the most part. It's six buttons rather than four, like was on... Well, some of the... I guess Genesis did have six, didn't it? Um, yeah. It's okay. I'll be honest with you. It's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But like I said, the speakers are terrible. Now, I, I haven't plugged in headphones to see if it's any better if I listen to it over headphones rather than the horrible, tiny, dinky little speaker in this thing. But the controls, the thumb controls, are, are pretty accurate. I mean, it, it actually does work. So if yeah. you're someone that remembers the Genesis, this might be something you want to look at. Here's the Here's the intriguing thing, and I haven't fully explored this aspect of it. It's got an SD card slot. And when you, you know, you got to go through all these different screens to see all the different games, right? It shows like, I don't know, eight games per screen. Then you go down to see the next games or sideways, whatever. The last screen is the SD card. And my understanding is if you load a ROM, like a Sega ROM onto an SD card and put it in there, it will read it and you can play that game as well. So it's expandable. Interesting. And I'm kind of curious what software they're using for emulation. Could I put, I don't know, say Atari 2600 ROMs on there or NES games? Could I? I, I don't know. I bet you couldn't. You yeah, never know. Some, bet, some of the emulation yeah. software out there is compatible with a lot of different ROM sets. Because, mm. look, those old game systems are trivial in yeah. miniature now. I mean, it's just software. I, a, it surprises me that bearing in mind this is a Sega licensed product that they allowed that because obviously even if you only play Genesis games that means you're going to be effectively pirating ROMs off the internet to play on this and it surprises me that any corporation would even tacitly endorse that approach Um, but I I can't help feeling that even if they have kind of let that one slide, the the possibility of it playing a different systems emulation as well with their kind of branding on it, I I find hard to hard to imagine but who knows? You'll have to try and see. I, I'm kind of curious. I'm looking at reviews yeah. right now. Everyone says the same thing. The sound is horrendous. <laughs> it's just, it is really yeah. bad. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. You know, it came with a charger, a wall plug. It's got rechargeable batteries, so you just plug it in and recharge it. Um, 
I played it on and off for like a week before I even bothered to plug it in. And that was yeah. right out of the box. I didn't even plug it in to begin with. And uh, so it seems like the batteries last a good long time. I, it's it's an intriguing product. Let me just say that. So, I, you yeah. know, as I play with it more, when I have some time, uh, I'll let you know. Let's uh, pause real quick, David. All right. We probably have more okay. pauses on this show than any of recent memory. Sometimes that's just the way it goes. Got to do what you got to do. Yep. So, um, like I said at the beginning, look, we've got 21 years, almost 22 coming up now, of content starting in 1995 at MyMac.com. Now, obviously, when we started MyMac, it wasn't online as far as a website because there really that didn't really exist. That um, wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing at all. It was a downloadable magazine that came out once a month. Um, you know, I started it in uh, the basement of my ex-wife's house, and she wasn't my ex-wife then. I was um, going to say, you just that, rolled that, up that to your ex-wife's yeah, house I, and says, give me a basement. Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, if it would have been a good marriage, my Mac probably never would have got started because it was, yeah, anyways. Um, so we've got a lot of content. We've had hundreds and hundreds of contributors over the last two decades. And a lot of the stuff that we have online um, is content that I personally haven't even looked at in all that time. And most people won't because it's, it's almost too much. So I like to link to stuff like the last time I did a newsletter, uh, I linked to Russ Walkowicz's interview, text interview with Jeff Raskin, the guy who started the Macintosh project at Apple before Steve Jobs kicked him out of his own project and took it over. Um, and, and it was a fascinating read, to be honest. So we've got all this great content. And you, my my MO usually is when I'm doing the newsletter, because it comes out four times a month, I will go to a certain year of the month that it is as I'm doing the newsletter and find that kind of content. So, for instance, this time I thought I'm going to go to December, since we're almost in December right now, December two thousand and or 1996. And so I just go to the archive at the very bottom. It's a drop-down menu. Select December 1996, and there's all the content. And I thought, ah, I want to link to something in here. This would be it's 20 years ago. And here's the email page from my Mac number 20, December 1996. And I thought, I'm going to link to this in the newsletter, but you know what? This might be kind of fun to talk about on the podcast on TechFan because... How far have we come? What were people talking about that was reading my Mac? And it was just, you know, everyday Mac users 20 years ago that was downloading so my Mac yeah. from AOL and eWorld and various uh, online services, CompuServe, um, and, and they were reading it for free. Yeah. Let's just make make sure, make clear what we're talking about here. So my Mac was a monthly electronic magazine at that point, yeah? Yep. It was in so, doc maker format, which is something that doesn't even exist. It's yeah. a, it was a precursor so, to PDF. So you would publish this, and people would then read it. They would email you comments, and then you would print those emails as letters. Next, 
yeah. in the next issue. Yeah. So yeah, I, the reason I wanted to say that is because you can look at these and you can you can think, oh, this is kind of you know, uh, it, it's like comments on a web page or something like. It, this is not even that advanced. This is literally this is almost like a letters page. It was just done electronically rather it, than. Well, it wasn't uh, like it was a letters page. That's what we called yeah, it. The email exactly. page. It was okay. a letters page. Yeah. Right. And right. either okay. I or Russ Walkowicz, he was the editor of the downloadable magazine would reply to these emails on the email page. And in the actual magazines, they were formatted differently than it is on our website because that's a, a straight data dump and there's no formatting. In fact, you know, had I been smart and formatted this now, I would put breaks between the different emails and I would make it clear that, hey, this is the reply to the email above. But yeah. that's not done at all. So it just all kind of blends together. But... I thought this would be fun to read. What do you think? Sure, yeah. All right. So the first one is from Bob I. That's a name right yeah. there. <laughs> Bob sure I. Is, yeah. I always thought maybe I should try emailing <laughs> these people, see if these email addresses that some of them are you know on here actually yeah. still work. Probably not. Still work, yeah. Well, this one is he's at ti.com. That's Texas Instruments. Yep. You know what? I'm going to... This is Bob I. I'm going to... I'm going to do a quick search. Bob I. Texas. Oh, I can't spell. Instruments. Does Let's Texas Instruments was. even exist anymore? Uh, the first thing is remembering Bob Pease. Oh, that's not him. Mm, doesn't look like it. No, I, I, I think. Does it? I don't know. Didn't they have LinkedIn back then? All right. <laughs> No. Wait, wait, wait. No. Just, just, yeah, just because we can't find him on the Google, that doesn't mean that he uh, he wasn't a big mover and shaker at Texas Instruments. Just maybe he never made Google. I, I mean, this is a thing that we find now is an awful lot of stuff that was going on back then was never in a format that would eventually appear on Google because people just didn't keep stuff electronically back then. You know, they said he didn't. He probably didn't even archive email back then. I'm wondering if he was, if this guy's real name was uh, Don Peace, because I'm finding a lot of stuff when I just he, did a Google he, search. He, yeah, he, uh, uh, he, uh, Mr. Peace was apparently a big, well-known engineer at TI. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, a famous an analog engineer within Texas Instruments. So you want to read these? Sure, yeah. Right. Okay, so he says, Scuzzy, in your column of November 1996, you stated, Of course, I then used HDT Prober to mount it on my desktop because any Scuzzy device will only mount if it is turned on either when the Mac is started up or before. I think you mean that any Scuzzy device will not auto-mount unless it's turned on before or when the Mac is started up. I frequently turn on a little-used external HD on my 2CI well after the Mac has been started, and I use SCSI Pro 4.3 to mount this HD works every time. Yeah, <laughs> this is all. This was techy when it started, and then it's gotten even techier. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it's a bring that USB. Uh, the, the days of, of trying to troubleshoot SCSI device chains and get your devices working was... Uh, and. You know, SCSI was, was fabulous technology back in the day compared to what how else you could uh, do it. I, I had a conversation with somebody recently about how we used to get 
um, two computers together and then join them with a serial cable and use a whole load of commands to uh, allow them to talk to each other so we could play games between each other. Um, and yeah, all of this connectivity stuff was really engineering heavy back then. Anyway, Bob goes on. Like your trash can idea. I have no idea what that is. is. (laughs) (laughs) I had the same idea recently. It worked great when you've been doing a lot of downloads and have a lot of .hqx files lying around. I keep the .hqx files until I'm sure that everything came through okay, then trash them as opposed to changing the preferences and stuff in Expander. Keep up the good work. I just found my Mac and I really enjoy it. Okay. So, yeah, you... You probably don't know anything about the HQX files, do you? Not really. <laughs> they, they were a precursor to Zip. Right. So the Mac had massive problems downloading via the Internet back in the day or because most of the time you had to pass through a um, Unix system. And Unix had a really, really bad uh, habit of stripping out resource forks for mac compressed files or uncompressed files especially and so the workaround was something that unix used every day which was hqx but the problem is the mac didn't support hqx so you had to have a third-party piece of software in this case stuff at expander was the most popular um to actually uncompress files that you would download from the internet so i think you know in his email he keeps the hqx file Stuff at Expander by default would delete the HQX file after you expanded that file, uncompressed it. Mm-hmm. But there was a way to turn that off, and he wouldn't. He would make sure that it wouldn't delete itself, the HQX, until after he's uncompressed the file and made sure it works, and then he gets rid of the HQX files. I, I have no idea what the trash can idea though was. I have no idea, <laughs> no clue. So yeah, yeah. Uh, jumping down to the next one, um, it starts with I'm not. Yes, I'm not too sure that it's safe to introduce any SCSI devices on the SCSI chain, e.g. turning on the zip drive while the machine is on. In fact, Apple and others see it as dangerous. Same with ADB, which is Apple Desktop Bus, and other devices. You may blow the ADB chip in the Mac. I've seen this done to my friend's old LC. Just a suggestion, the zip drive does have a sleep mode that draws less power after about 15 minutes or so, or just keep the machine on 24 hours a day like I do. Future device buses like Firewire will supposedly support hot-plugging devices. We can always hope. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Uh, If Vosh happens to be listening to this, let me tell you that they didn't really fix it in Firewire either, because I I vividly remember plugging a... (laughs) Uh, a Firewire 400 cable in between a working Power Mac. Uh, you remember they had um, uh, some of the later ones had had um, ports on the front. I'm not sure whether this one did. Um, but anyway, I plugged a Power a, a Firewire 400 cable between a Power Mac and a um, power a 12 inch PowerBook while they were both on. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that yeah. because what happened is when I plugged the cable into the PowerBook. There was like a futzing noise, a little puff of smoke came up out of the uh, Firewire port, and it never worked again after that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, next one down so, is called Easier Internet. Just a quick comment on your Easier Internet. Uh, you mentioned the idea of caching your web activity on your ISP server. When AOL launched their Internet web service, I thought it was one of their big marketing points. 
And they were supposedly were keeping most of the popular sites cached locally in order to improve response for their users. Something like that. I tried to find the letter from Steve Case, but they only go back a year. Anyhow, it is an interesting thought. Cheers, Brett Turner. So this is something that we don't even think about much anymore. But back in the day, everybody was on 14.4, you know, 26, 36, 56K modems, dial-up. And the internet, the web pages were such a new thing. And unless you have a, a local ISP, you didn't have access directly to the internet. Most people, at least here in the U.S., were using America Online, and they launched a web portal, which you dial into AOL, you're on AOL, but you're using their services then to browse the internet through their browser. It was terrible. It was horrible. And it was so slow. Um, and so AOL, their workaround would be to cache those files on the AOL server. So you, when you go to apple.com, for instance, you're actually pulling all the data for that website from AOL servers, not Apple's. You could kind of mm. see problems with that. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, this, of course, this is before the days when uh, everyone stuck, stuck ads into everything live. But um, you often didn't get the latest version of the site. Yep. Um, and um, funnily enough, you know, not so long ago, I think only a couple of months ago, I was, I got into a big uh, debate with uh, a company support thing. I was trying to sign up for some, I think it was when I was going to VMworld. That's right. And I'd registered for the conference and it wasn't showing me my um, discounted alumni rate because I've been to them before. And I was getting really steamed with them. I was emailing them going, you know what, uh, this isn't good enough and why aren't I getting this? And, and it was to, because I'd changed my email address or something like that. Anyway, they changed, They said they fixed it and I went back again and again it still wasn't showing it. And, and again, I was getting a little bit tetchy because I was trying to get sorted before I left for this conference. And then it turned out that it was because in my local browser cache, it was cached and it wasn't updated. And once I switched to a different browser, I then saw it the way it should be. Um, so this is a thing that still happens today, only now it's cached on your computer rather than cached at the ISP. Or cached at both. Uh, let's jump down to a little bit. You see where it says, uh, yeah. I've got an idea for a Mac commercial? Yeah. And uh, this is from a person named Jack. Yeah, he goes He puts a space between his letters and his name. He was yeah. he was he was that was Jack right there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe he maybe that's actually how his name was on the birth certificate. Yeah. Maybe his, his mom and dad have very wide writing. <laughs> <laughs> he says you should have a setup where there's some guy with a PC looking frantically for something in Windows. Soon his boss enters and says something like, Smith, do you have it? Somewhere in here there has to be a Windows sign on the computer. The guy with the PC looks and smiles only easily at his boss. Then the screen goes black and there's an Apple symbol and in anti-alias text, got Mac? Cool, no? <laughs> I agree with not so great commercials, but admit it, that one called Where's the Dinosaurs was funny. By the way, I love your e-zine. J space A space C space K space S. Well, Jack, all I can say is um, I don't think Don Draper would have good words for you for that particular idea and it, apple didn't didn't they kind of do what was that um what was that ad they did where the girl was met where they reckoned she was stoned 
And she was going, ooh, I had a PC and I lost my paper. I Do you don't remember, remember that one? I don't. I'm sure that I'm 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 sure I'm not dreaming this. Stoner girl Apple. Hmm. Interesting. I don't remember it. Ellen Feiss, Apple commercial. Was it? Huh. She was the this was the switcher campaign. Oh. Where they had you remember the switch campaign? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, she became an inter- one of the early internet celebrities because people reckoned she was stoned. And apparently it turns out she wasn't actually stoned. She was just, they'd been waiting there for like uh, 12, 13 hours to record these ads. And she was just really, really tired. But um, but yeah, she, I remember that she, it was it was just her and a white, <laughs> first, one of the first early instances of Johnny I's white, white um, designer heaven. Yeah, because she's there in a white room and she's going. It was something like oh, you know, yes. yeah, I, I was really bummed out now. because yeah, yeah I, I used my dad's PC and I lost my paper, you know. <laughs> so, uh, let's uh, yeah. So uh, maybe yeah. Jack was behind Ellen Feist's bonus. Could be which campaign? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm looking down these this list here. Go down to too much Mac passion, and this too is with Mac a passions. with a question mark. Okay, yeah. Too much Mac passion. I just finished reading my Mac number 19, and as always, I was thoroughly entertained. You and your staff produce a fine zine. You should all be very proud. I could go on, but there is another purpose purpose to writing my letter. Did you just choose this one because of that opening line? Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wish to respond to Daniel Ramos's letter, which was printed in the aforementioned issue, wherein he rails against the notion of Apple incorporating the ability to run Windows applications directly within Mac OS 8. In truth, I had the same horrified gut reaction he did to the idea. <laughs> but then a few points came immediately to mind. They are in no particular order as, as follows. This is still only a rumour, so there's no point in us getting our drawers in a twist. <laughs> uh-huh. You know what? I want to go back in time and tell this guy, you know what, forget about this. One day Donald Trump will be president. Yeah. <laughs> Give him something really to worry about. Secondly, he goes, if true, this can only be a good thing for the Mac as a platform. Think about it. A more stable platform, which can also run those programs people like to use in Windows, spelt W-I-N-D-O-Z-E. Can't you just see the rise in market share? It's like the ad says, Windows users aren't evil. They just don't know any better. It will be up to Apple and third-party developers to support continued development of applications which run smoothly and more efficiently on the Mac than Windows apps will in the event that apple does make this ability a reality i don't think it will be a feature we won't be able to turn off (laughs) (laughs) i I must banish the windows (laughs) besides even if we can't disable it who's to say we have to use windows apps on a mac just because we can i can't think of any daily common use apps uh, programs which runs in windows which does not have a mac counterpart come to think of it i can't think of any windows program i'd want to use anyway Mr. Ramos should be commended commended for the strength of his loyalty. All that I ask is he temper his passion with reason. As Mac users, we must set an example of decorum. For too long, we were arrogant in our pride concerning our platform of choice. Apple's recent monetary and current equipment problems were just the opening the press needed to try and knock us all down a peg or two. We must learn from our mistakes and rise above all the trash talk. (laughs) Slightly undermined by the frequent use of the word Windows. (laughs) If this rumour turns out to be true, the question we must ask is 
how we can use this to our advantage. Thanks. Please keep up the good work. I look forward to what to watching the continuous growth of my Mac as a journal of valuable and information and opinion. Sincerely, sincerely, L. West Nelson. Uh-huh. Well, well Windows, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that cracks me up. Uh, yeah. The last one. Last the one. The last one. The last one. American Online 3.0. Windsor. Yeah. A, a simple way to avoid the ISP problem with AOL 3.0 is uh, to yeah, disable AOL link in the preferences. You went, you oh, went, sorry. Yeah, you oh, right. Sorry. Okay, that's your answer to the, yeah, yeah. the question. My apologies. America Online 3.0. I really disagree with your reviewers' opinions about the Mac beta of AOL 3.0. What a pain to install. I think I had to restart the computer four times. It disabled the connection to my ISP and requires a restart every time you switch between AOL and your ISP. Assuming you knew where, when you logged off, which you were going to, which you were going to want to use next time. If you guessed it wrong, it is start, log on, log off, restart, and log on to the other service. Only a PC user <laughs> would put up with that. Mm-hmm. As for the interface, it may work all right, but it has the same obtuse appearance of unlabeled symbols buttons that cause CompuServe Wow to sink beneath the waves. It reminds one of button of the button city of MS Word. The Mac community has complained about MS ripping off Mac technologies and pretending that they invented it. I wonder why so many Mac users are willing to use MS when they rip off Netscape. I don't know what the financial arrangements are, but I hate to think of part of my uh, my AOL bill going to MS every month, Windsor Crosby. Wow, you guys really hated Windows and the PC, didn't you? And we Microsoft. Really, we really did, man. I tell you, Mac users back in the mid-90s, we hated, hated Windows. We hated Microsoft. It, uh, it, it felt like we were under siege all the time. You have no idea. As someone who wasn't a, a Mac user at the time, look, nowadays people refer to it as Mac zealots. And we, you know, if you're a current Mac user, you're like, I don't, I don't even get that. This is where that comes from. This is where yeah. that hatred of all things Windows PCs came from. Because back in 95, look, the Mac was a lot different than it is now then, but it wasn't so dissimilar that you personally couldn't time travel 20 years in the past and not use a Mac. You could. Yeah. The tr- same is not true for the average PC users. If you go back into no. 95, you're going to be lost. Those the, They were horrible I, I, yeah. interfaces. I remember, I mean, you remember, this was this was just after Windows 95 launch, which was a huge, mm-hmm. huge thing. And one of the reasons it was so huge is because before Windows 95, PCs were really, really horrible. Yep. I know because I was using them, I was working in support back then, and you had, had to have all sorts of arcane knowledge to get them working, much more than you ever did with the Mac. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely. The early versions of, of Mac, System 6, System 7 and everything, are really not very different in, in concept to the way people use computers today. Correct. And clearly, that, and, and that's the way everyone uses, even PCs today. So they were very much ahead of their time. So I can understand some um, elitism looking over at, at the PC side of the fence. It wasn't but just having, elitism. You know, it was also you were all the press was always talking about how good PCs are. And they were always yeah. disparaging of the Mac platform because of Apple, because that's all Apple was, was the Mac platform. Yeah. And we wanted this platform to 
thrive. We wanted to get bigger. We wanted more people to use it because we knew as Mac users how much better it was. And it was so very frustrating yeah. because it was very clear that the rest of the, the press was just anti-Apple. Mm-hmm. And and it was tiring. Yeah. Um, usually those stories don't end well for the besieged company. Apple is about the only one I could think of that really turned everything around. Um, you know, Amiga, yeah. Atari, all these companies that, you know, Radio Shack with the TRS stuff. Um, none of these companies survive. Even, IB, even IBM with yeah. OS2. They, they, don't make, you know, they don't make PCs anymore. Yeah. You know, and they never really made their operating system successful. You, know, yeah. you remember Bob? I mean, good Lord. So Apple was the only one long-term to succeed in a corporate, from a corporate company. Now you can look at Linux and say, oh, Linux, Linux is still nothing. It literally is nothing. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of us use Linux a lot, <clears throat> but it's just, it's the engine that drives, for instance, a, a main arcade, or it's, you know, the, the underlying software for a Raspberry Pi build that's, you're, you're using a smart mirror. I mean, you're not using yeah, it's, Linux. It's big, in, it's big in corporations. It's yeah. big for corporate apps, and it's big for the web, but it's not uh, a desktop operating system. Mm-mm. No matter what ev- anybody likes to say, and I, and I know loads of people are shouting at their um, listening devices now, saying, I use Linux on the desktop, and it's great, and it's fine. It's, it's not for everybody. Uh, it's, it's not for most people. Um, and there's yeah. only three that's really r- risen. Windows, obviously, the Mac, obviously, and Chrome at this point. Those are the big three. Yeah. And so, yep. you know, in uh, 96... the mobile ones, obviously, which are, uh, you know, the, the mobile operating systems are really where everything's at now as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. So it, this is very early Internet. Uh, most people didn't have high-speed Internet. I got high-speed internet, internet way before almost anybody I knew. We were... I was very fortunate in that regard. And that was 1999. <laughs> yeah. So everybody was on dial-up. You could see what people were talking about 20 years ago in the Mac scene. They were very um, defensive about the platform. Uh, SCSI drives were still a thing. Firewire was just this idea that we had been reading about, but it wasn't out there yet. And it would be a, a while before they would come out. Um, also, was about... Was it ninety nine when Fireware started chipping on? Um, yeah, with iMovie. Yep. With with the yeah with the iMac and stuff like that. When Fireware yep. started. Uh, yep. Yeah. And so this was still nineteen ninety six December was still the very dark ages as far as Apple users are concerned. It wasn't until ninety nine with the iMac. That was ninety nine, wasn't? It? No, that was ninety eight. Um, with the iMac that it really started changing. It really, you started seeing positive buzz about Apple. I mean, there was websites set up at the time just if someone spotted a Mac in a TV show or a movie. Yeah. Uh, America's Funniest Videos at the time had a whole wall of those, you know, the the first generation iMacs. It, it, It was a cool thing to have a Mac. But in 96, it wasn't. And there was a lot of doubt that the platform would survive. So it was very defensive. And there was some people, 
Uh, specifically, I'd probably say look at Guy Kawasaki, who took the evangelism of the Apple platform to an extreme and gave all Mac users kind of a, a, a that black eye, if you will. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a nice little time capsule to go back in time. We should do this again sometime. Maybe maybe yeah, next yeah, time we fun. hit the subject, we'll move ahead five years and and see what life was like then, except... I think five years later, I we didn't have an email page <laughs> uh, because you know in two thousand we stopped the downloadable edition altogether and we went web only. So, yeah, it's I think this is kind of a fun little snippet of time. And you so don't you don't have to go. Go ahead. You have, you have to go digging through your mail server. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, you don't find content like this hardly anywhere online anymore. And I'm happy that my Mac has this little window of time that anybody can go look at what was going on in an average Mac user's mind in December of 1996. Pretty cool. 20 years ago. Very cool. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. We want to thank you guys for downloading it. Of course, David and I would love to get feedback from you. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Of course, you can just leave a comment in the show notes at either mymac.com, and and that would be show number, uh, what is this again, 280, or techfanpodcast.com. You can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook as well, uh, or again, the show at techfanpodcast.com, and we'll read your email right here. Be safe over there, David. Uh, see you soon. <laughs>